0: Welcome to Pivot to First. I'm Mike Seidel, and every day as CTO here at Pivot CX, I get to work with some of the most brilliant people in the industry with one goal: turning hiring into a competitive advantage. Today I'm joined with recruitment partner and whole human consultant and podcaster extraordinaire, Rosie Nathan. Rosie's podcast, um, Rosie on Recruiting, is uh, actually one of the all, my all-time favorite podcasts. Uh, she had me on as a guest. I think it was episode 31. Anyhow, Rosie, welcome.
1: Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. It's great to be on the other side of the podcast and not the responsibility of hosting. So I really appreciate that, Mike.
0: Well, thank you for being here. I was really excited when you accepted the invitation. So if you could tell our audience a little bit about you and um, how you got where you are.
1: Absolutely. So Rosie Nathan, I'm based here in Auckland, New Zealand, a recruitment partner with Customised Talent Group, a career and whole human mentor for Rosie on recruitment and career. And I have quite a theory. age background across sales, management, uh, recruiting, and a number of different industries. So I started off in freight forwarding and shipping, and here I am ending up in recruitment, pretty much everything in between from fintech, data and analytics, technology. Um, So in our New Zealand market, that's a huge advantage because very well networked and can get the right people for the right roles in the most amazing businesses.
0: You know, Right now, we're going through a really interesting time in the industry. We're going through this this whole great resignation. And and now what I'm reading about in the news is uh, buyer's remorse. We're starting to see people that took a new job during the great resignation. And now they're they're regretting it. and, And a lot of them are saying, that hey, they got misled a little bit. Do you see a lot of that out there?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting in the New Zealand market. We have probably not seen quite the same levels with the great resignation that I have read about in the States, but there has been an opportunity for people to consider how their companies managed the COVID situation. Um, I think overall as countries, we obviously manage that quite differently as well. So the environment with which that was managed and then how each organization managed that individually Gave people an insight as to whether the values of the company would come to the fore and if they walked their talk. Some did not. I, I,
0: think here, <laughs> I think here a lot of the, the COVID, you know, the whole COVID era, um, people really found out either their employer cared about them or their employer yeah. did not. And yeah. there were an awful lot of people that that really realized, hey, my, my employer is treating me like I'm a number and yeah. they moved on. And the thing that's really funny is a lot of people realized, hey, I can claim to not be treating people like a number and people will come work for us. And now they're finding out that those people, you know, the people they hired and promised they're going to treat them well, if you don't treat them well, well, guess what they're going to do?
1: I mean, you're talking about that buyer's remorse, and I think its um, you can only understand that once you get in and, and work under the hood, right? Once you start a role and really see how the organization works together, collaborates, communicates, is transparent. We had a huge organization in New Zealand that had to make a number of redundancies, but I think that through the culture and how they did that and the transparency they did that with, those that were leaving the organization, actually spoke with love and kindness still about the people, that, that the organization that they'd left. And um, many have returned now that they were able to. I think that, you know, that type of culture is something that we should all strive to work for and create within our businesses. Because if you have a happy workforce, then you get amazing amounts of productivity from that. Uh, the engagement levels skyrocket.
0: It's re- engagement is really underrated i think i think a lot of employers yeah. look at that and and they hear the word engagement and the question is what what does that mean um and, and I, I
1: mean it was is that the question because i can sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, go ahead i, I, need I to speak I, to that go for I it mean, engagement means that your employees are turning up to work without dread at a minimum um I mean, how many of your friends and family have you spoken to uh, at a party or catching up over coffee and they're like, I just do not want to go into the office, Um, they're not engaged. So that's point number one. How do you get people to be engaged? This is obviously the big people and culture question. Um, You create work environments where they feel safe, you create work environments where they feel valued, and you create work environments where they are heard and if you start with that and you really listen to your people and align that to an organizational strategy uh, it's a really good first three steps to getting on the right path for engagement
0: so i think i think i heard three big words there safe valued and heard yeah that's pretty succinct way of explaining employee engagement for a lot of a lot of ceos that are out there um, when they hear the word engagement they they Really, their eyes glass over, and, and it's not concrete to them. Not just in New Zealand. Means. Great. <laughs> it's, and, and it's it's everywhere. And, and so when yeah. you, you talk about it in those terms—safe, valued, uh, and heard—I think that really helps a lot because that puts it in the language that that um, well, even a CEO can understand. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've I've done a lot of sessions around this with senior leaders, and I think it was incredibly important to break it down into those types of behaviors that everybody could understand, whether that's within a personal relationship or a professional one. Uh, so those types of interactions and um, how we thrive within the different relationships that allow us to turn up in that way and create those spaces for each other, um, they're hugely beneficial and hugely productive, as I said before.
0: So right now, um, as you're you're, you know, just put your put your recruiter hat on, as you're talking with with, as you're talking with uh, the companies that you're recruiting for, yeah. What what are the biggest concerns that the employers are having right now about the availability of talent?
1: Yeah, um, all of the things. So (laughs) it's basically first of all, it's skill. Um, the alignment of the correct type of skill at the right level. So um, obviously there's roles that are across entry-level, intermediate, senior. Um, and what we've seen is in New Zealand, quite a few organisations are adopting an opportunity to create mentorship frameworks at an intermediate level to employ more graduates and entry-level um, so they can start to train up their own knowledge in-house. Um, salaries have increased Quite substantially and we're seeing counter offers uh, across the marketplace and and through our own clients of up to forty percent. I mean wow. that's a huge huge number. so that's of course at the extreme end of that offer of the counter offer but okay some of those so skills... so forty
0: percent forty percent yeah is that because we just went so many years without giving people meaningful raises or is is there something else at work here?
1: Yeah, so it is a couple of reasons. Some are a little out of sync with where the rest of the industry body had been. Um, So some did have to have some correction around, (laughs) around. Yeah, isn't it? Um, And then with others, there's just such a skill shortage and our borders were effectively closed for two years. So finding that talent at that right level um, Mm -hmm. was incredibly important. So the relationships um, and negotiations and discussions for that whole recruitment process, none of the deals are done until it's signed <laughs> because these big counter offers have been quite, um, yeah, quite interesting. And so a, lot
0: empl- so a lot of the employers are starting to play better defense when somebody uh, is going to leave.
1: There's a huge focus on retention and it isn't just counter offers either. There's other benefits. We've got one of our largest banks who increased their annual leave period from what is legally four weeks in New Zealand to six weeks. We've got other employers offering up to 26 days when our um, legal requirement is 10. So people are finding other ways to create benefits and that's well-being and support. And so, yeah, people are weighing up, not just what is the money I'm going to get in hand, um, are there car allowances, are there benefits? Uh, so yeah, there's a, a lot for people to consider.
0: So it really, really has really become a candidate's market um, in, in every way it can.
1: And. Yes, but I also think that's such a dangerous term because then some candidates feel that they could just, I'll resign or walk in and find anything else. And I created a post recently on my Instagram around that, around, you know, it's a myth that candidates can just walk into any role. There are some that will be, some skills are obviously much more attractive right now. In the New Zealand market, we're seeing that band between around sixty 000 to 120,000, which is a, a very operational type band. That where there's the greatest need so a lot of the strategy has been put on hold um and potentially not a lot of those leadership roles while organizations are still seeing and, and trying to understand what the long-term ramifications of economic impact to covid um will be and making sure that their roadmaps are achievable and deliverable with resource
0: Okay, so let's put ourselves on the other side of this, on the candidate yeah. side, and, and look at look at the world through the candidate side, because you brought up something that I, I think is really true, and that's that a lot of people think that um, they can apply for any job and get it really quickly right now, um, and and, and I, I'm not sure that uh, anything has really changed in one area, and that's that as a, as a job seeker, it's my job to find a company that's a good fit for me and not go take a job that's going to make me miserable and make my employer miserable.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of um, candidate review of both the roles and the companies, that's that's absolutely as important as it's ever been. And for me, it's around seeing that that candidate has really understood the requirements and responsibilities of the role and that they're tight on that story. I do talk about this a lot and I send out a lot of CV tips to people that ap- apply, but they don't, <laughs> they don't articulate their own story while well. they're doing themselves a disservice. Um, but also as recruiters, we do have a responsibility to understand that that frame of reference for them is very different. And so they might only be applying for a very few jobs. They can see the alignment themselves, but they're they're terrible at articulating. So um, we we know time as a resource is, is very limited and we can't help everybody in their own story. So sharing information like this, being able to put out podcasts and uh, CV links and um, best methodology of how you can tighten up your story. I always use the STAR method tell my candidates to start with a situation task the action they took and then importantly the result many people forget to share the results that they've achieved in their past roles and then how they can apply that in the new role that they're applying for so they forget that piece and I think that's incredibly important because recruiters sometimes can't put it together if it's not if it's not sold out.
0: You know, you brought you bring something up that's really, really fascinating, and I, I see this a lot in, with our customers, uh, particularly um, mid-sized companies that maybe aren't big enough to have an internal recruiting team, and so they've got uh, general managers and and location managers, you know, hiring managers doing doing the interviewing or
1: receptionists i've seen oh, that, that is the first point of call and and that's no disrespect to their no. emotional intelligence but they they're not they're not but in a position to understand what's required for that role
0: that's reality out there you know in a lot yeah. of companies they just don't have that that layer of talent acquisition expertise and what we run into an awful lot with with our clients uh, a lot of times they'll bring us in and go you know we want to hire faster and and so we bring in our software and and our chat teams and start start, uh, you know, every candidate starts talking to our people and all that. And then we hand them off to this hiring manager. And what we see next really is uh, not a good thing. And that's that they, they don't understand that the candidate isn't good at finding a job, they don't do that. The yeah. candidates don't look for a job very often. So yeah, well, hopefully,
1: yeah. <laughs> well,
0: the good ones don't, and and then they get exactly. into that's what doctor, I mean, yeah. And and now we've got this hiring manager that's trying to read behind the you know read between every line on the resume, right? And they're yeah. trying to figure out who this person is. And, and a lot of times they forget there, there's something that they can do um, that's really easy to do with every candidate, and that's just talk to them. Um, so instead of trying to judge them by the resume and by the CV or by their profile on LinkedIn or their profile you know on a job yeah. board instead of that just have a conversation with them get to know that person and 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 ask them questions that that really matter to to doing that job because because I think I think a lot of times the, the hiring managers think that there's something magic in that resume that they can find in there <laughs> and and maybe there is but I think you and I know there's not.
1: Very, very rarely. Is that the case? Absolutely. Um, so few people have the skill of articulating their strengths and, um, and particularly those that have a lot of them in a very particular skill set may find it difficult. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with all of that. (laughs) Yeah. It
0: was a shock to me when I, early in my career, the first time I ever got to work with like professional uh, outside non-staff recruiter in the company I was working at, um, It it took me a minute to understand this, that the recruiter was coaching the candidates on how to get through our hiring process at our company. And at first I'm like, well, I don't think they should do that. It seems kind (laughs) of like cheating or something.
1: It's it's imperative.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it, it was. When you look back, looking back on it and looking at the gauntlet we had set up for these candidates to go through, um, there was no way they were going to get through without being coached. There were just too many places where people had created little gotchas and little unrealistic expectations. And, um, yeah, the recruiters, the outside recruiters were very good at helping great people get through this crazy dystopian thing that we had created.
1: And I think as a hiring manager, you, you really want to go in with curiosity first and judgment second. and that's, really important because there's no commitment to having a really transparent and open conversation and what you'll do is you'll bring their walls down people don't tend to respond particularly well when they're interrogated surprise um so if you are sitting there firing questions at somebody they're going to feel increasingly uncomfortable under this pressure Uh, if you just really try and sit back and think of it as having a conversation more will come out than you realize. So I talk a lot with leaders and, um, our clients about that, that style, um, more of my clients have decided that they'll do a cultural fit coffee conversation, whether that's virtual or face to face first, because they want someone to be able to share the real human they are. And then they'll go to a, a technical or challenge question or presentation as a second interview. Um, that way they feel that they're getting more of the real person because they've built a connection there's a little bit of trust there and they can see more of their work um, before progressing through their interview process
0: so what you're what you're really saying here is build relationships first not last
1: i mean it is about people isn't it, That's it really what is. we're trying what we're trying to do at work is uh, get the best out of a person, and of course, make sure they're aligned to the role and they have the skill set., uh, but that's got to be demonstrable in some tangible way anyway. So if we can build <laughs> a relationship and put someone at ease, uh, they'll also want to work with you more than someone else who's put them through an interrogation. it's It's really not that difficult.
0: No, it's not, but it's surprising, especially in these you know these mid-sized companies and smaller companies, I think a lot of it just comes down to, um, you know, once you once you've been around a while and are hiring thousands of people, everybody kind of gets better at it, uh, and you start bringing in professionals to manage it. But early on, when you're having to deal with, um, you know, you're, you're the hiring manager is the interviewer every time and all the time, um, it's yeah. different. So no, I, I really really appreciate your your advice on that. That that's uh, actually really helpful. So. Um, Thanks. You know, looking looking at uh, the next year, what do you think the big challenges through the rest of, of 2022 are gonna be for companies?
1: I think it's still employer brand um, and understanding that they need to continuously improve on and um, engage their current staff so that that word of mouth and that authenticity of culture shines through. And um, from a recruitment perspective, I think it's just learning from what's gone right, what's gone wrong, and being open to new ways of processing through that whole interview process. What we found is, you know, the people that have stuck very rigidly to how they interviewed when it was... Uh, plethora of candidates available on the market. <laughs> <laughs> they have had very little choice. They have had very little applications. There have been, um, if people know people and particularly in a marketplace that is as small as New Zealand. It's only one or two degrees of separation for someone to say, no, I wouldn't even consider having an interview there. Um, but that that culture can also change very quickly. You get in a couple of fantastic senior leaders who have um, a personal stake in wanting this business to work and you can be part of that transition and culture change. So I always say to my candidates and clients, you know, never say never. If each one of us is developing, every person is on their journey and every company is as well. So I think the challenge is just going to be ensuring that um, people remain focused on what their true objectives are for roles what that resource actually needs to be because it's not the title of that particular role it's the skill set now that's that's needed which might not have been the skill set when you first employed for that title you know who else in the team has changed um, and so that challenge really is about time because how often do people take a step back from their department and go actually two people have changed here do we still have the right dynamic of skill set? Are we getting the best out of these people and giving them the opportunity to shine and grow in the ways that they could in these roles? Who would best complement them instead of this role that we've we're now considering? Um, so a few things I know I've left. No, <laughs> there. It's all it's I, all
0: real because you know you At least, you know, we look at our market and and there may be a little difference between New Zealand and and, and elsewhere in the world on this. But one of the big challenges a lot of the employers are facing right now is we've always demanded all of these skills. And it turns out that that skill that we think we need, A, we don't really need it. And B, we're not going to get candidates that are going to come to us for that because someone else is hiring them for a lot more money now. Um, and there is really a lot of, of work that needs to be done especially around getting the the right uh, the right descriptions of jobs and the right the right inventory of skills that you really need to have um, and I, I think that's a real problem for everyone you what are your thoughts on that? <laughs>
1: I think self-awareness in organisations. You're absolutely right. I think some brands have this perception of who they are, but they um, they've been really open and assessing other areas, but not necessarily how that looks to the marketplace and how that offering of development too. Most candidates are now looking at the what's in it for me long term. How can right. this role? You know, I want to give the best here, but. I don't want to come into a role that I'm a 90, 100% match with. I want to come in and, and be a 70% match and let you grow me 30%, but add my 70% of value as well. This is not, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, I think we've got uh, more savvy candidates in, in a number of ways. There's obviously much more accessibility of information around what organisations are. And we've got to be realistic about how we test people um we can't, i so don't know if you've seen it but i saw this meme the other day and it was um it was two giant t-rexes breathing fire at each other in a very dramatic scene and they were like ah and it says uh the you know the interview challenge and then it had two blow-up dinosaurs in a pool and it said the actual job Um, and so I think there's got to be a better alignment of that, uh, and reducing any bottlenecks, which is obviously what your company does so well. Well, uh, You
0: know, I, I hope we do a good job with that, but the, that, that meme that you're talking about is, uh, one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time because (laughs) I come out of the software development world and I've never seen a, a, a segment of the, the talent marketplace where, um, the the requirements that that we come up with are are so far off what the reality of the job is. Yeah. it is it is amazing. You know, we're asking for people that have twenty years of experience in things that have only existed for five years and all of that. So, uh-huh. there there really is a problem there, and it is one that if you solve it, it can really help. So, another question for you. Um, you know, yeah. one of the things that that has fueled our company's growth over the last two years has really been about speed of engagement and. Um, one of the, the theories that I'm beginning to operate on is that a lot of companies that come and say, hey, we have a candidate flow problem. We don't have enough candidates going through our pipeline, um, mm-hmm. may not actually have a candidate flow problem. They may have a uh, velocity of candidate flow problem where they're going really, really slow. They're, they're mm-hmm. taking 45 days between when they decide, hey, I want to hire somebody and when they actually make an offer. and I kind of wonder, if, <laughs> that was <but> just, it, <laughs> unfortunately, no, that's like, like, yeah, well, in the, in the, you know, the, the Society for Human Resource Management here in the U.S. did a, did a survey, does a survey every year on that. And that 43 day, it's 43 days between I need to hire somebody and the, when the, the uh, position offers are out. It's crazy to see that. That's, that's crazy. Still, yeah, it, it's still very real, and I think a lot mm. of employers don't realize that technology has changed so much, and, and you yeah. don't have to wait three weeks to start engaging with your candidates.
1: I think you know the the method of engagement has now improved as well. So you you know we talked about tech accessibility when you were on my episode, and. Um, I think it's understanding the audience for the role. Is it a very tech savvy role? Is it someone who's in senior leadership who might be open to more phone calls or they want a video conference or they want to sit down and have a coffee? So it's being audience appropriate. We're a recruitment organization that operates across a wide spectrum of that market and each of us is very aware of When we're hiring across the different levels, what would be most appropriate for how we interact with the clients and understanding the scope of that role and the speed of that, and which is why we try and keep those relationships really tight, even when we don't have any roles on, we're consistently talking to all of our clients because we want to know even if there's a, a thought process of, OK, in our roadmap for quarter three, we're looking to increase our team, our call center team by 10 people. Fantastic. Or we've got you know this developer need for 10 people in their full stack or they're just back end. So we have that understanding and we can start to talent pool really early. And um, I don't think it's just about that velocity of speed of getting to the right person, but it's accessibility through the technology that you can then find those candidates with those right skills. And that's, you know, that's what we're here to do. We have that fantastic network and we have all of those tools at our disposal. And I, I, I just scratch my head as to why anyone in business who has such a busy full-time role um, wants to take on this area of recruitment completely <laughs> um, I, yeah I, I guess people think they can just like, do it themselves and because it's yeah
0: i think i think you know if you look at at just big trends um the uh the interesting thing is that uh, and i haven't seen this in a long time um globally recruitment process outsourcers rpos are growing at 20 yeah. that, that industry is growing at 20 percent, and and that's an industry that really really was kind of flat for a long time and then the last two years I think what you're seeing are some some pretty big global corporations looking at, at, at their recruiting and going why the heck are we doing this um, yeah we, so I I think that I think you're right you know sometimes it's it's smart to admit hey we're not going to ever be this good at it maybe we should bring in the pros
1: <laughs> and and complementary services you know it doesn't have to be all eggs in one basket and um, and that's exactly the conversation I have with with clients as well.
0: So um, just kind of wrap things up. I do have a couple of of quick questions for you. So what what book have you read that has just absolutely changed your life?
1: Um, There's a few. (laughs) And of course, right now off the top. So the problem with me is I am a Blinkist and 12 minute fan. So I consume a lot of different types of books. consistently but there is the book i i really wish you'd given me some notice for this because i've got about 15 in my head and now i'm just gonna have to try, we'll come back to that
0: this this we'll wouldn't be nearly that. as fun if i if we told you in a day. i know okay this this one's a lot easier so what 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 is too your many.
1: i've got in my red list 160 this year and then to read 120 so yeah i've got a, a few
0: so so you love you you absolutely love to read
1: I, I love to listen. I find reading for me is like, um, it's unfortunately like work because I do so much of that at the office, right? You're reading so many CVs. When I was in commercial business myself, you know, I did 20 years as a salesperson and um, enterprise and corporate. So everything was like reports and reading. So listening to audio books and I listen at two to two and a half times the speed. I just, I love to consume them. So I get a lot of ideas and then it's like, which book was that from? Because I that kind of they all, all, they all do jumble
0: together after a while. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, I've got an easy question then. Um, favorite movie?
1: I um so different ends of the spectrum. I'm either movies that you can absolutely sob at, or just laugh at. And I love sobbing. At, like I just think it's really healthy thing to do. I think that. We don't do enough of that kind of just very emotional connection. Um, but I'm binging a lot more on kind of episodes at the moment. And right now, um, something that I absolutely love is the Formula One series on Netflix. Oh, okay. I just think that the, the drama of that, the competitive nature, um, yeah, I, I rave about that to everybody. And then there's another uh, little show called Starstruck. And there's a New Zealand comedian called Rose Matafeo, who has been on a couple of um, Steve Colbert, I think recently, but she's got a two season series and that's quite comedic and very whole human and imperfect and real, which is kind of all of the terms I use for my podcast. Um, So they're not movies and not the greatest of all time, but I wanted to bring something that's kind of topical to now and that'll be light and easy.
0: Okay. And then final question. Uh, so if people want to learn more about you and more about what you're doing, Rosie, where do they go?
1: Absolutely. So I am at Rosie, her career on Instagram, or I'm Rosie, which is R O S E Y her Um, and I've got links to blogs and my podcasts and everything there. I'm sure I'll send you the links so we can pop those in the show notes.
0: All right. I appreciate that. And we sure will. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rosie, and have a great day.
1: Such a pleasure.